0: Alright, hi everybody. This is A7X fan Ben. Welcome to Pirate CSG podcast number 53. Before I introduce the very special guest today, I just want to say a quick thing about how Shout Engine, the current host of the podcast, is shutting down in about a week, then of December. So I'm going to switch host to Anchor. And I just uh, should go pretty smooth. Just let me know if you see issues or if links to new podcast episodes or RSS feeds that do not work anymore. Uh, are like not working for you, or if you can't get the episodes, things like that, um, just let me know so I can try to fix it. I should be able to get everything updated and uh, current with the host switchover, but let me know if you have issues um, once Anchor is uh, permanently like the new host. So, anyway, so I'd like to introduce the very special guest. Uh, welcome aboard to AAA Sauce and uh, Pirate Captain Andrew.
1: Thanks for having me aboard, Ben. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Hell yeah. It's awesome. so you've been you've been into this for a while, so I'll let you just kind of go on about like how you got in the game, um, what introduced you to it and kind of just your general history with it. Sure, I'd
1: be thrilled to do a little bit of a walkthrough. So I think at this point I've been playing pirates for 10 years, maybe 11 or 12 somewhere in that decade territory. Um, I was introduced to the game by my cousin uh it must have been 2010 11ish somewhere in there so you know fairly early i would have been 12 at the time give or take and he had been introduced to the game by an older friend of his uh who maybe would have been ahead of us by 3 or 4 years um but initially i didn't actually have any of the game i wasn't familiar with it it was all all playing through my cousin and with him and he had I think to start out, he had a pack of Davy Jones Curse, a pack of Crimson Coast, and two Ocean's Edge special edition boxes. Nice. And I remember his first special edition, his first Ocean's Edge box, he pulled two Grand Temples, the USS Georgetown, the Juggernaut, the Divine Dragon, and then some other ships that I no longer remember off the top of my head. But it was a a pretty wild way to start. And... Being so young at the time, we had a really pretty rudimentary understanding of the rules, and I think because of that, we chose to ignore a lot of rules that we didn't necessarily understand or care about at the time. Yeah, but uh, we we played pretty regularly uh, at the time. You know, the, what we were playing would be barely recognizable as pirates, you know, uh, as it is played today or played by people who are really following along with the pirate code. But we we certainly had a lot of fun doing it, and we played for hours and hours and hours um my shortly after that once i kind of realized what was going on and thought you know hey this is this is pretty cool this is kind of tripping my trigger um i started purchasing some of the game as well with you know whatever money i was scrounging up at the time uh, which would have been exclusively the ocean's edge special edition boxes I remember those things were, like, in the clearance aisle at Target with, like, the $2.99 stickers on them. So it was a, a super easy and quick way to build up a collection pretty quickly. Yeah. So we we played like that for a very long time. Um, and that's that's kind of how I got into it and in some of the early early kind of formulations of the collection – and you know at' at some point, I wanted to play the game, but my cousin wasn't available, I'm sure. So I introduced my brother to it uh, again with my very rudimentary understanding of the rules. Uh, and he was he is two or three years younger than I am, so of course, my already poor understanding of the rules had to be kind of tweaked and adjusted a little bit to fit you know his his abilities at the time as well. but we, we really took off from there. We started playing with a lot of our friends. And, they're doing much bigger games very quickly nice and that that's kind of the that's the that's the overall kind of introduction to the game that i had
0: nice yeah that is wild to get three six masters in two se boxes right off the bat that is that is some nice luck right there
1: <laughs> it was it was crazy you know i mean oh. at the time of course we didn't recognize it as being anything interesting or special but now kind of understanding the distribution of the cards a little bit better and how often you really pull a grand temple uh, it was pretty cool yeah. he was uh he was a big hms grand temple fan i was always a divine dragon fan and i, I think the nostalgia of the divine dragon alone is what has kept the curse as my favorite faction up until this point and the oh. divine dragon as my favorite ship
0: nice so. nice yeah i have my own kind of nostalgic history with the dragon as well because she was in uh a lot of my games back in like 2012 2013 including some really memorable big ones uh around that time and i've actually i've barely used her since then um but i i have like one or two copies of of her uh, in washington with me so i definitely want to uh, break her out again kind of bring her bring her back into my playing style a little bit soon hopefully so yeah
1: it's like, a it's yeah. a fun
0: chip. yeah yeah.
1: No I, I started to uh I used it so much for so long that I started to catch flack from the my my play group and the people I was playing with. Like, you know, they're they're getting after me. Like, hey, you got to use something else, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm actually. I almost always try to change up my fleets, like in successive games or different games I play. And like recently, um, with some of my in-person games in Washington, I cool. used Calypso uh, three games in a row, which is like quite rare for me. So I finally. Um uh, broke that trend uh with my game a couple nights ago, with Witch, also the discord but um but yeah, that's like <laughs> at one point Luke said, uh, in the hundred point game he was like oh, i'm just I'm just waiting for the clip so i didn't I don't think I did anything but I was like yo, she's in this fleet too, so <laughs> but it's like it's stuff like that, like game pieces like the dragon or clipso that are so you know sometimes dominant but also just so interesting to use, whether it's because of the combos you can create or um the kind of like You know, game-defining situation situations that those game pieces often find themselves in that it makes it hard to resist uh, using stuff like that. And the frontier is another one like that for me. But lately, this year, I feel like almost pretty much every time I use the frontier, she's sunk. So I might have to stop using her, (laughs) even though she's really good. The
1: uh, the frontier. uh, Shortly after I began purchasing uh, those, those oceans edge boxes. We had the luck of finding a couple of Savage Shores boxes. And I think by the time we were done buying those, we must have had, I would say, maybe six or eight. Uh, We had, I think, 12 copies of the USS Frontier. Oh, wow. So I I remember, you know, again, with our very poor understanding of the rules, which were admittedly probably 50% made up anyway, my brother would do these transfer trains, as we call them, with the Frontier, where he would just string, like, all of those that we had in this big, massive line, it was so obnoxious, and I have disliked the Frontier since then. Yeah, It's a, it's a fantastic ship, but...
0: Yeah, that's fair. Just, that kind of sounds like the uh, chain exploring system that I started using in a campaign game in 2011 that Zerix and his brothers have uh, seen in a couple of the Century of Economy games, where you just line up ships like Bow to Stern, touching, and then just explore to a wild island so then you don't have to give any move actions to the whole chain. absolutely it was
1: a, it was the exact same idea <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: crazy all right i know you have like a crazy amazing collection you've posted uh snippets of over the past few years um between the discord and facebook group uh, i kind of specifically i'm interested in how you got a hold of the german koleptora or however you pronounce the name the uh mysterious island submarine where uh for anybody uninitiated that's listening was printed with uh, Nautilus artwork uh, based on the flavor text and lore backstory and whatnot. Um, it looks like a misprint but it's actually not or whatever um, but I guess in the, the German version of Mysterious Islands the collectora is just gold as you would you know expect her to be so I'm kind of curious as to that story and how you find so many uh, foreign language cards in general as well.
1: The uh, foreign language cards are a fairly new um, point of interest for me and for the collection. Uh, To be quite frank, uh, for most of my time playing and collecting the game, I really thought that the foreign language cards were a waste of time, a waste of effort, a waste of money, whatever, because I didn't view them as different or interesting. Uh, However, in some conversation that I had with... Uh, old man in particular was the one who uh, I initially went to he was the only prominent collector that I knew of in Germany and he and I had a decent working relationship at the time uh, buying and selling cards back and forth and sourcing various items so I'd specifically asked him if there was a good way to source German cards and he kind of came back at me and said you know these are basically impossible to find like German cards are so rare that, you know, the collectors in Germany don't even bother because it's just too hard, Hmm. which to be quite honest, I took as more of a challenge than anything. Like, Okay. Now I, now I want to collect these. And I started, uh, just browsing, um, eBay, eBay eBay.de, uh, which is the German version of eBay. Uh, and from there, I was able to cr- to make a couple other contacts who um, were referencing me to various like really kind of uh, crude, I guess, is not, a, not the proper word for it, but these really kind of sketchy looking uh, German garage sale or auction sites, uh, similar to like Craigslist. Huh. And I had found basically just this big pile of cards, uh, probably equivalent to like a medium flat rate box, And I purchased them sight unseen under the guise that they were German and that Coleoptera or Coleoptera, I'm not entirely certain of how you say it, was in there. And after a little bit of research and poking, what I was able to figure out is that the German prints, the German runs of cards, were printed after the English cards, um, far enough in the future that whatever errors had been or had occurred in the art department, you know, whether it was um, like the USS Oregon, which has the mirrored side on the left-hand panel, I believe, yeah. or the Coleoptera being printed with Nautilus artwork. Uh, those the German cards were printed far enough in the future that a lot of those errors had been fixed. Okay, interesting. Um, hmm. That's the the copy of the German Coleoptera that I have is the only copy I've ever seen. Um, surely they must be out there. There There must be more of them. I know several people in Germany uh, and around Germany who have sealed mysterious islands packs, but even in their punched or unpunched open collections, they don't have examples.
0: yeah, wow, that's crazy to think like what the distribution run must have been if it was like one percent of like the amount of you know English that's produced or something like that or maybe less. I don't know that is I have no idea. Yeah,
1: I, the the production numbers must have been fairly low. Yeah. Um, uh, the distribution, I think, was super wonky as well. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, the Pirates of the Caribbean expansion, I think, as you know, is pretty pretty notable for having really terrible rarity distribution in the packs. You know, there's I think stories that float around out there from time to time of like entire booster boxes of uh, super rare pack. Yeah. So I, I my kind of uh, interpretation in my my experience is that the German cards have similarly poor distribution. Uh, I've had, I would say, five to seven hundred uh, different Mysterious Islands cards in German, uh, and cards as in like, you know, a crew card or a complete ship. And to only see one Coleoptera, uh, only one super rare pack, seems pretty, pretty anomalistic to me. I, I think there's a, an issue going on there with um, with printing distribution.
0: But yeah. interesting, huh? Do you have any like uh, favorite items you've collected? If you could pick just one, or if not, like your top three or top five?
1: My favorites have always been the posters. Yeah, um, I, I have a, a pension for those posters. Um, I think I have six different ones so i'm I'm, i have the spanish main poster and i have a fire and steel poster so i'm fairly confident that there is one for each set in between but they are really extraordinarily difficult to find but i i love those i love collecting those um in addition to those 17 by 22 posters there are also uh, identical uh, identical artwork in an eight and a half by 11 format that were distributed in various game trade magazines and scry magazines. So I also have some of those, Interesting. the, the paper accoutrements and ephemera are by far my favorite.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That what actually, about yourself? Um, I don't really know yet. I mean, I love my 10 masters and I kind of just love having, um, like most of the playable game pieces, uh, because I'm such a big, like, hardcore player that I love, like, having stuff available to the point where now I'm actually, I've started, like, a, a secondary collection in Washington where I'm trying to have one of each of everything here as well, in addition to my old uh, play collection in New York that uh, I don't really want to bother trying to ship out here and then move around as I move around, but um partly just to to have the stuff, partly to act as, like, a backup for the for the punch stuff I do have so in case those ships wear out someday because I plan to play so much over the decades hopefully that uh, I might actually need the backups um, only a few of my ships are that worn where the masts are like loose like the Enterprise from like 2005 maybe not too many of my yep. ships are like that despite all the times I've used them but um, but I started a second collection also just so I have stuff because I've already played a bunch of in-person games in Washington I've been lucky enough to find a handful of players it's been really great so I want to make sure I have what i want which is often the esoteric or the the kind of weird crazy stuff like calypso like one of one type game pieces so um for specific stuff i would say mostly the ten masters um and just some of the other some of the other rare stuff i've kind of very gradually acquired i kind of i take a very slow approach to collecting so i only just got the uh the crimson coast limited editions and a few of the uh mysterious or no uh davy jones curse uh le's like this year uh i just got my first couple bus this year i mostly care about like the the stuff you can actually use that's like of my definitely the most interesting to me um and i still don't know if i'm gonna punch some of the rise of the fiends le's um and actually use them because the the ships are pretty much identical uh to the rear version so we'll see how that goes but Um, mostly like mostly playable stuff um, so I can use it and I just used uh, Raptor Maw um, for like the second or third time this year in a game this past weekend so so usually usually playable stuff then I can actually uh, try it out for the first time which is always interesting (laughs) but it's it's perfect segue that you mentioned the posters because I was actually I was going to ask you if you finish your collection of those so if you've got all 12 um, I guess the follow-up is the wonder if Savage Shore has ever had one? Because I was kind of, um, I feel like I had seen like a Rise of the Fiends and/or Fire and Steel poster too. So it does make sense that they would have all the other sets covered. And I think I have seen pictures of, I think most of them, definitely not all, but um, but Savage Shores, maybe that was an anomaly. I don't know. So you know, you never seen like a picture of a Savage Shore's one? I'm assuming.
1: So the. Only ones that I have actually seen pictures of are the the various ones that I have. So I have uh, two variations of Spanish Main, uh, Crimson Coast, Fire and Steel, uh, South China Seas, and I believe I have one or two others. I would have to look though. Interesting. And then the only other one I've seen pictures of is the Barbary coast one, which I believe that picture is on board game geek on like page 846 out of 892. I mean, it's way back in there.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's, so, the only, that's the only one I have. I think there might be one in New York. I'm forgetting, but I think Barbary coast is the only one I have. Um, okay. And uh, that is really interesting. It makes me realize, I mean, I I'm, I still message Holoferns once in a while because um, he was always he was one of the best like collecting gurus back in the day. Um, Absolutely, but he's mostly gotten out of the game. He sold that complete collection for that eighty eight hundred dollars earlier this year, which was amazing to see. So, um, but yeah, other than him, it's like it's tough to find some. I feel like it's kind of become like this very gradual issue where a lot of the biggest collectors are either out of the community or sometimes memories fade or they don't have records of stuff or, uh, which is totally fine, of course. Um, but also, or they've, um, or they're harder to get a hold of things like that. So some of these, some of these collectors items and other things, along with the downfall of miniature trading potentially lead them to being kind of lost to history or kind of sometimes I feel like the modern community, especially in the past, like two or three years has had to do more research on their own than I remember having to do in the past um i know i saved a bunch of stuff even some collecting information for miniature trading but um i think the posters are probably one thing that's kind of just it's like a wild card because maybe maybe nobody really knows at least in the current community um if there was one for every set um i don't know who would know because even like the people involved in the production might not not recall
1: yeah I, i would agree with you entirely there um First, I do want to circle back. I realize that I missed one of your questions, uh, which is the whether or not a Savage Shores poster is extant. My my gut tells me, and this is—I mean, this is totally just based on my my own thoughts, feelings. There, there's nothing else concrete to it, but my gut tells me that there is not one for Savage Shores. Uh, everything about Savage Shores to me smells and feels very rushed. Uh, which we know obviously that the set was cut in half for production purposes. Uh, we know that packaging was altered in order to ship the game faster. So I, I think a lot of those ancillary items, you know, if, if there were intended to be posters or advertisements or anything else like that, mail ins, I think a lot of that went by the wayside just due to timing.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, that makes but sense. To your point of the, the, kind of diehard collectors or kind of, you know, the old heads, if you will, of Pirate CSG kind of fading out of purview, uh, I would agree with you completely there. Um, I mean, I, about the posters in particular, I've reached out to a lot of the people that I, I would know to just kind of from memory off of miniature trading, uh, you know, Old Man, Holofernes, um Commander Cody, uh, other uh, other kind of names in that realm. And there were items that those guys never really seemed to pay attention to or know about. It could be a, a pretty niche group of people who, at the time of production, would be interested in those posters. But miniature trading was a huge loss, yeah. Um, from a, a collecting standpoint and a knowledge yeah. standpoint, um, I mean, there's just some of the the raw information and the amount of information to sift through on miniature trading that's gone is really, I think difficult to recover from as a community because a lot of that knowledge was firsthand knowledge and really that, I mean, that's, that's source material that those are primary source documents that are, are gone effectively. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really too bad. I still have that, um, that HT track, like total download or partial download of the site that I have a link to at the bottom of my saved for miniature training posts. And I, I don't know, I don't know, how to use that type of stuff. Um, like it was something like archive of the site, but I don't know how complete it was or how well it downloaded. Um, and I'm not sure if that could be used to bring back some of the, or not bring back online, but to view some of the old threads that I didn't save or didn't get to, or didn't prioritize or whatever, including like miniature reviews and whatnot. Um, but I'll probably look more into that at some point. Um, when I, when I have more time for it, but, Anyway, have you ever heard of or seen a second copy of the adventure book? I know JRP, um, the same, same username for Miniature Trading and is now on Pirates with Ben, she got the only like one-of-one prototype copy at auction on eBay back in 2011 for only like 53 bucks, I think. Um, but I don't know if you've ever heard of or seen or heard about like a second copy or anything like that existing of that adventure book.
1: I have not. Uh, the, the best information that I have is, I think, equivalent to the best information that you have on that, which is yeah. kind of the one known copy. Yeah. Um, but 53 bucks, man, those 2011 prices were awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was, man, it was the time. It was the time. I remember getting like a, a box, like a full uh, Spanish main box that used to have packs in it. Of like three, I think it was like 311 cards, Spanish Main. I won the auction for like $20.50. So I had like, <laughs> had like almost all the five masters and like most of the set. And uh, yeah, crazy stuff. That'd be,
1: that's, I mean, the deal like that's almost impossible to find right now. Those yeah.
0: It would, all, it would have to between. Be, yeah. Probably it would have to be like a buy it now where the person has no idea or like an in person garage sale type thing. So I would agree with that. All right are you still in contact with a uh, old man? Cause I've had trouble reaching him the past like year or year and a half. It's probably
1: been, a, I think a good six months since I have reached out to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to keep regular, uh, at, at least twice a year. I try to make sure that that channel is open, that line of communication. Yeah. Uh, if for no reason other than he's kind of fun to bounce questions off of. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if you uh, remember this or if you had ever read this thread. Uh, it would surprise me if you hadn't. But on miniature trading, there was a thread that was—I mean, this was probably two thousand eight, two thousand nine, maybe. I mean, this this was an old thread in there where old man had mentioned that the ten masters were produced at three thousand copies a piece, hmm. um, and you know, that's, that's one of those things that I really wish I could go back and look to check myself on. It's like, I I don't want to, I don't want to go out there and say that, you know, oh, there's only 3000 Zeus, but he didn't, he didn't remember posting that. And I, you know, I can't
0: find that thread. so Interesting. Yeah. That's the type of thing. I don't know if that HT track download would, would help with that sort of thing. If somebody could figure out or I could figure out how to use it, but, um, but yeah. And then you wonder where he got that information from i know he had a lot of good contacts i just wonder like where he got that from or who was willing to admit that or if they were not supposed to tell somebody you know things like that just kind of interesting what may have happened there
1: yeah it is a that's a weird one because i mean that to me three thousand copies seems really low for something that was being
0: yeah you know
1: mailed away by the pile full effectively
0: yeah but I, i agree completely yeah, that doesn't that doesn't seem right at all. But uh, it just
1: doesn't quite pass the smell test.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, are there any? Uh, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. Are there like uh, collection items you're still looking for beyond like the posters and uh, like foreign language stuff, like playable game pieces or like Scandinavian home islands, do stuff like that?
1: There's a. An unfortunate circumstance in that when my brother and I really started collecting, we were it was kind of a revolving door. We were bringing in so many cards, but we had to kind of compensate for that somehow. And the way that we did that was to sell a lot of cards. And we unfortunately sold our copy of the Crimson Coast LE set, uh, along with a few other like really random items. So uh, the Crimson Coast LEs are one that I'm always just keeping my eyes peeled for. Hmm. Um, from a, a playable perspective, though, the collection is generally complete outside of a few really odd items like that. Yeah, uh, and I, w- I would echo what you said earlier that you know, that as much as the collecting is fun and those you know trying to find the random posters and stuff, uh, playing is truly where my passion is with the game, uh, which is why I. I don't hesitate to punch, you know, I mean, Raptor Maw, right? I mean, you got Raptor Maw and you, you yeah. punched it to play with it.
0: Yeah. That to me is, that's where the fun is. Yeah. So, yeah. But
1: everything yeah, I that, that's.
0: That picture of all the Punch 10 Masters you posted at the Discord a while back, that was crazy impressive. I've never seen so in one picture.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think there are 26 punched and then there's a, a pile of unpunched. Jeez. But that's, as we were bringing those cards in, you know, we just kept like every 10 master, we kept all the Krakens, yeah, you know, just because we could. Yeah. Um, every now and then we'll play a game, you know, a, a big game. The play group will get together and we'll have six or eight people or however many. And everybody will take a Zeus or everybody will take a Guishan, or, you know, something really off the wall like that. And it's always a lot of fun to be
0: able to do that yeah that makes but. sense um I'm gonna hopefully you'll be able to see the picture I send on uh, the discord chat. It's from uh board game geek. I think it was posted maybe not that long ago. I can't remember um oh yeah, I like to bounce this one off some of the knowledgeable collectors because it's just so strange to me, and I can't understand if it's like a custom or like where it came from um just so
1: odd you know i agree i've stared at this picture for quite some time okay and my conclusion here which it could very well be wrong but my conclusion is that this is somebody's homemade piece yeah the the geometry of the sails the tab on the front mast the overall shape of the front mast to me it just screams homemade yeah. The part that throws me off is the, the Disney copyright in that bottom
0: left-hand corner. Yeah, that's a weird, that's really strange. Like it, it doesn't look like anything from a Pirates of the Caribbean set or movie, really, either. Um,
1: I would agree with that.
0: And then something, to your point about it being homemade, I don't know if I realized this before, but if you look at the, the main deck, the slot for the main mass looks like it was just like punctured with like a knife. It doesn't. Look, I, yes, I didn't realize that before. So yeah, this there's no way this is remotely official. Even it even like almost prototyping would look better than this, I think.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, this would be either like a really early handmade prototype or somebody's homemade. Yeah. Uh, the one of the other interesting points here, I think, or maybe not all that interesting, but the whatever this card material is that the sales were obviously punched from or cut from. Is pretty severely bent. I mean, that looks like it's bent up almost at a forty-five degree angle. Yeah. So it it appears to be really pretty thin, uh, much <laughs> thinner than the polystyrene. So yeah,
0: yeah, it's always just a weird, weird oddity. I sometimes come back to and and uh, wonder about. So um, let me see if there were any other. I guess no more collecting questions that I can think of. What's your favorite uh, game piece to play if you had to pick one, other than Divine Dragon, maybe?
1: yeah absolutely uh for nostalgia purposes i'm just gonna i'm obligated to say the divine dragon um however you know you made a, a great point earlier ben in that i think a lot of the fun in the game is to use different things and to really mix it up kind of as much as you can um i'm also fortunate or unfortunate depending on your perspective that winning has never been all of that important to me so i don't have so much a favorite game piece i wouldn't say as i do kind of a, a style of play which is to use items that i have never used before or combinations that i never have even if they're terrible yep. uh, yeah yeah I, I i like to use the the less used items i like to use the worst game pieces uh, just because i think it's more interesting it's more challenging it's more fun i think
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah my like kick lately has been like weird combos that are obscure or um, unlikely or just unpredictable. Um, Partly for like, like almost like a shock value or like to see like what the other players think of it or like to try to surprise people or be, you know, have things in play that they don't expect. But also just from like a combos, like a fun combos perspective, like uh, the game the other night I played on Tuesday I had Nikos Chelios from uh, Mysterious Islands on the Frontier. uh, Okay. Expatriate crew, give the ship the mercenary keyword, so that's away from the home island. But with a hoist, you can get real close to the home island and just use the hoist. Target. Right, so you can still, yeah, yeah, you You can can still load and unload. Yeah, target the home island with a free explore action. So you can, you can't dock, but you can still unload. Um, That's a fantastic idea. Yeah, it's fun, and then uh, he's got the ability to like take two treasures randomly without having to win a boarding party, which also works well because the frontier has secret holds. So then hopefully your uh, your stolen loot will be protected. So I wasn't really able to pull it off properly in the game, but it's still one I probably want to circle back around to at some point. So stuff like that I just find fascinating, and I think it kind of shows that I think I've come to this like realization or I don't know if that's the right word for it, but lately I've thought that like named crew are like really important to the game, and I think especially to both the competitive scene and like the longevity of the game in terms of novelty, um, discovering new combos and abilities, and just like advanced play and like interesting and advanced play and campaign play in general. Because if you boil it down to like generic crew, um, it's usually like beginner fleets or like. Shipwrights, canyons, musketeers—usually not competitive at all. Um, I will say I need to use specialists and uh, silver explorers more often. But oftentimes I f- I'm finding named crew to just be like the backbone of what makes the game interesting from like an intellectual or intellectual or like strategic uh, perspective, more so than a lot of the beginner stuff or basic stuff or even the competitive stuff that uses named crew that gets a little bit old. Um, and then you pull off some weird combo and it's like wait what just happened
1: (laughs) i i would agree with that entirely i you know i have i think poor i have decent working memory and knowledge of the game as a whole but named crew are an area where my my memory and my ability to just recall abilities really is lacking so i i really think that it's a skill for those players who can, who can come up with those combos and who understand how the named crew can interface with various abilities. I mean, that's, that is game changing. And like you said, that, that really changes the flavor of a, of a game. And it, it really, I, I think, like you said, to your point, it helps the game to feel fresh for much, much yeah. longer than it otherwise would.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, it's a 15-year-old game at this point that still feels fresh when you can come up with those combos, and that's, yeah. that's yeah. crazy.
0: And that's one thing I don't like about losing the, the forums, like Miniature Trading and, of course, the old WizKids forum, because I'm sure that like almost every named crew ship setup in general or crew setup in general has been played at some point, but um, but a lot of it's been lost at time. So, But it's also kind of a fun opportunity where you can kind of Maybe not claim to be the first one to do something, but you can kind of be like, oh, I came up with this like interesting combo, and like, yeah, maybe somebody maybe somebody posted about it in 2007, but I didn't, I never knew about that. Um, so it's kind of a fun, it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess. It's like kind of a fun thing where maybe it's been used before, but it's also it's kept fresh by how there is no online like battle report history of something being used. Then hey, like it it seems new and feels new, so it kind of helps keep the game fresh in that way uh, as well. And um, trying to think what else I was going to mention. Oh, so I'm, I'm, soon I'm going to make a strategic elements post on uh, Pirates of Ben that I'm really uh, excited about, just to just to write it, just because I get really nerdy about, like, the strategy of the game. And one thing I've noticed recently in these physical games is that, like, how powerful, like, knowledge is, Um, how, like, having, like, an encyclopedic knowledge of the game pieces and whatnot, and how, like, there's, like, these weird... Minutia aspects of actually playing in real life that you never think about when you're making a fleet or talking about things online or like theorizing so like for example in the four player 100 point game i included some uts and they were the only ones i um they were were some of the only ones i brought with me there was like a pile and uh, i included like three or four out of the five or six that i brought and then somebody um asked me for the pile so they could see like because they had explored an island and they wanted to know what one of the UTs did and then you sure they contributed those or the other ones or whatever or the remainder of the ones that hadn't been found or revealed and um and I was totally fine with it but then it struck me in, my, in the back of my head I was like that would actually tell them what else I put in because then they can see what punched UTs are on the other cards and then stuff that hasn't been revealed they can then know and then right they yeah because, it wasn't the case at the time, I don't think. But then they could extrapolate, and if there was only one face-down coin left in play, they could actually deduce that that's exactly Neptune's trident from my pile, um, rather than yeah. It's, it's almost say, like
1: card counting.
0: Yeah, and maybe in the future, maybe me instead saying, "Oh, you know, the master spreadsheet is right on my website," and then you can look it up that. Way. <laughs> not as like a not as like a douche move, but just like kind of like if if things got competitive or if there was like like money or on the line or playing for keeps or whatever the kind of thing where like you would have to use a database, uh, rather yeah, than... otherwise
1: you'd have an advantage <laughs> if you were able yes. to look at those cards.
0: <laughs> right. So I don't know. stuff like that. Just, it hits me when it happens in the moment. Cause I'm like, I've never had to do this. I've played a lot. And like this like specific little things come up that haven't happened, which I think also helps the game fresh and provides more, uh, post fodder for you know things to talk about just as like a well oh, for sure strategy and intellectual perspective it's really quite interesting
1: you know what's interesting too i think though that you know uh, you if you were playing you know somebody who plays at your level ben is playing with you know a, a noob i guess for lack of a better word or somebody who doesn't have that level of knowledge of the game or even enough knowledge of the game to have that level of strategy and be able to extrapolate like that 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 really changes the way that you think about the game and it changes the way that your opponent is thinking about the game right once once you realize that your opponent may not even uh, not that you're playing with somebody dumb in this hypothetical situation but your opponent doesn't know what they don't know right so they don't even know enough to be able to say Oh, well, if I just turned over Neptune's Trident, then that means that rats is the last coin on that island. Yeah. there's only one unexplored island left, so it must be there. yeah, like it's it's kind of crazy to think about,
0: yeah, yeah, there's wild possibilities, and it's fun. It makes me kind of re fall in love with playing uh, physical games against other people because of all these like not so much undiscovered um, aspects, but just things I haven't experienced even in all my playing days haven't like done it before because a ton of my games are solo and or on the vessel module so um so yeah it's crazy and yeah it's like lately i've used fleets that maybe maybe they were a little better than i thought like i thought i was making like gimmick fleets and stuff and then i ended up winning the game so i'm like okay maybe i'll take it down (laughs) a little bit um not because the fleets were like hyper competitive but just because like yeah, maybe I, I may have also underestimated the experience aspect. Zarek said something about that in the video battle report I posted about the experience thing, playing a factor. And I kind of, I may have kind of underrated that aspect going into the recent games. Um, but then yeah. a couple nights ago when I played Witch, he was like really good. He It was it was a great night of playing because he matched my, um, I don't know if I would say competitiveness. I don't know. I guess I, I guess I'm more competitive about the game when I play against other people than I anticipate or than I think I am. But, um, but it's more just a lot of times it's just like, I want to optimize the strategy just because it would be cool to pull off, you know, what I want to pull off in terms of combos, or if I don't think I'm winning and I think I might be able to make a strategy play to win, like how cool would it be to actually pull this off and somehow pull out the win? Um, So I think that, I think that's where, some of it comes from, but he was really fun to play against because he, he matched my like chess match type mindset, uh, and we we were both pre-measuring and um, theorizing and the stuff, and like the rounds took a while, so it was it was a great time. So
1: that's where it really gets fun, I think. That's yes. when you get into kind of that nitty-gritty experience. That that just it changes, it just changes the experience as a player, I think. Yeah. But you know, you're, you you just use the word optimized and I think that is. One of those experiential components that is so fun and so interesting is that when you have such a great working knowledge of the game that you know you even when you choose to use you know suboptimal pieces you know average or below average ships and crew, you are still working as a good player to optimize those and you know create these interesting or you know quote unquote gimmick strategies that when you do pull them off are just off the wall fun and you know they just it's just a different experience
0: yeah yeah it is the only one of the only cons is like i don't think i've admitted this on video but like one of the only cons is like i feel like i've lost my connection or touch to some of the newer players because i don't um once you get to like this i feel like i'm just like being arrogant or hyping myself up but like just like trying to explain my experience of it like some of the newer players that don't Use like optimal crew stabbots or to like prompt them. Like you should probably have a Holmes in there, or whatever. Um, I feel like I've like lost touch with some of the newer players, which I find sad. Um, but I guess it's I guess it's just inevitable after you've played this much. I've seen so many basic like Captain Holmes and setups. It's kind of like okay, whatever. Like let's put a let's put Next Patriot on there. Maybe that'll maybe that'll spice it up. So, <laughs> just for the heck of it, I, sometimes.
1: <laughs> I think that makes sense. I have found that. Uh, this just happened uh, a week or two ago. Um, we were playing. There were four of us playing, and we had a, a new player in our group, which is always a fun and exciting time, right? I mean, anytime you're teaching somebody new, I think is is great and exciting. But we, the the three of us who are experienced, are playing. You know, we're using, I guess, what I would call typical strategy, right? Mm-hmm. We're optimizing our fleets. We're op- optimizing our combos. We're measuring out distances between islands and making sure that, you know, if we take a half an S here, we'll be out of range of that guy's cannons or whatever it may be. And all three of us ended up losing to this new player because we just kept making the assumption that this player was going to optimize. They were going to do the smart thing. They're going to do what makes sense. And at every turn, they were doing like, you know, what I would consider the to be the dumbest thing possible. but. <laughs> <Well, laughs> But it just kept working out in their favor because the three of us are so over-strategizing compared to what this uh, new player was doing. And it was, I don't know, it was kind of eye-opening in a way. Yeah. But at the same time, like you said, it kind of makes you feel a little bit disconnected from those players. Like, you know, like, yeah. w- what they're doing is so basic. It's it's almost elementary, right? It's like, okay, yeah, whatever. But,
0: Fascinating. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen that, so... That would be an interesting game to watch. Huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was goofy. Yeah. It was fun, but it was it was a weird experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. While we're on the topic of playing, uh, I figure we could go over a couple of the the customs uh, you shared. Are you okay with me oh, just sure. playing like the first set of that spreadsheet and just not scrolling? Absolutely. Toolbar, just okay? Cool. Um. So you can you can feel free to give your like philosophy on custom making in general if you think like where they came the sets came from the inspiration sure like that
1: so the quick background uh, and kind of coverage and disclaimer for everything on this spreadsheet then is that uh it's a all of the ability text on here is from memory so there are abilities here that are conveying the spirit of the ability but they have not actually been copied and pasted from the correct ability text uh, so if i were to do anything with this sheet or you know produce or print these cards or whatever obviously that would need to be changed um i when i am making customs or kind of you know uh, making stats for customs i guess what i am always trying to think about is i guess what i like i kind of internalize or call the spirit of the WizKids sets um i think That the kind of community idea that there is a reverse power creep throughout the the game is really completely true, right? I mean, you can see it in speed averages and cannon averages and carbon capacity averages throughout the sets. Uh, All of those things get worse. But I also believe, and my experience has been, that sets are balanced within themselves. So if... You know, Spanish Main plays equally as well against Spanish Main as Ocean's Edge does against Ocean's Edge. So, as I am kind of assembling these sets, my idea is always to make sure that they're balanced well within themselves first and foremost, and then with the game as a whole as a, a secondary consideration. But the the first set that we're looking at here, Islands of Ice, is kind of my uh, nod to or follow up to uh, Frozen North. Yeah. So. In, in in spirit uh obviously it doesn't follow it super well but that was the idea
0: so right. yeah if you want to pick one we can start going over it whatever you like oh you know i've looked at
1: these so many times i will yeah. i will uh, let you pick Ben.
0: okay uh yeah let's we'll start with the first one just because it's fitting okay. uh dark stride uh number 001 in the set cursed icebreaker 12 points alpha L move cannons of 4l 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 Three cargo, so same cargo as masks. And that ability says Icebreaker, and if a sea creature begins its turn within L of the ship, it gets plus L to its base move that turn. So right off the bat, I like this because the ability is perfect for uh, what the Cursed have with all their creatures, most, the most of any faction uh, by good margin. And uh, I like how you changed it to sea creature, not monster. Um, so I like that a lot because Titans get the bonus, uh, which is good for Brachiora or whatever Titan you're using with this ship. Um, also, Krakens so,
1: yeah, or Octopuses.
0: Yeah, true. Which is wild because they're tough to speed up. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, and then the LL move is really good too. So this is really, really pretty interesting. This this could really help the curse. Like just thinking about like what they have normally, even if this was the only. Uh, cursed ship in the set this would benefit them immensely i'd probably do captain helmsman Um, definitely a helmsman at a minimum and then uh i don't know if i'd worry about the ice breaking so much as i would about just maxing out uh creature speeds so i would definitely want to use this with probably the way i like to do the the l boosters is i try to have at least two uh sea monsters or in this case creatures uh get the bonus every turn possible and kind of have a pack So usually I do it with the Serpent's Fang or Sargasso Nightmare, sometimes both. So if I have two L-boosters, I might have three uh, monsters, preferably. Maybe two is fine still. But um, but, and with the one thing that's really notable, too, is with the Icebreaker's LL speed, she can easily keep up with uh, or mostly keep up with the creatures that she's boosting, which is unique compared to uh, most curse ships moving far slower than that. Uh, the serpent's fang I love, but um, she's only got L right. So with the Helmsman, L is yeah. S, so she kind of struggles. Sack can help, but you don't really want to sack just for a move. You want to shoot as well. Um, so she, so she has trouble keeping up with the the monsters that she's boosting. So this one would be unique, and it could just go right along, or maybe have a, a creature on either side protecting it and uh, getting boosted each turn. So I like this a lot. This is a strong cool uh, cursed edition here so very nice
1: i should throw out another disclaimer real quick ben and that is yeah. that uh numbers one through 26 in this set uh as well as some of the vikings do actually exist uh, in physical form i've had these cards made uh and one through 26 the entire cursed run has been pl- uh play tested in air quotes as well as it can be by you know the guy who designed them Yeah, but Uh, In general, they they seem to fit in okay. Uh, The one that has stood out during playtesting as being really way off kilter is uh, number 10, the Clubbed Seal, Mm -hmm. which is a uh, three-masted longship, uh, 21 points, S-move, 3L, 4L, 3L, three cargo space. And then uh, from an ability perspective, it has longship and then extended range, uh, and this ship ignores icebergs when given a move. This one has really... Really stuck out
0: as playing poorly. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the extended range would help make up for the low base move, but it's still pretty pricey for for a, a main gunship. So yeah, she's kind of she's interesting, but not necessarily useful. So huh. no,
1: it's kind of along with you know so many of the cursed ships. It's kind of a neat idea, but executed poorly.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wonder if. Increasing the cargo would uh, make equipment more convenient. I mostly say that because extended range is fun to use with like exploding shot, stinkpods, oh, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, I don't know if that would go against your like uh, thematic ideas, but
1: no, I think that would be a really reasonable idea. There's that would also prevent present the opportunity to actually utilize some of the the high point costs of the ship, right? And, but 21 points available, you could fit some. Some pretty interesting Cursed Crew on there.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. Cool. Uh, do you want to take a look at a Viking one? Sure. Okay. Yeah, let's try Let's try the the first Viking longship, Valhalla, uh, number 027. 17 points, S plus S speed, Ginnons of 2L, 3L, 2L, and then 4 cargo. It's got longship, and when the ship sinks another ship, you may repair one of the ship's masts. So this one this one seems pretty nice overall. I like how she's got the speed and cannons to be uh, viable as a main gunship. The, the 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 point cost seems pretty good overall. And I would be I'd be, I mean at first glance is uh kind of with a caveat maybe, but I would probably say this would hold her own with all of the WizKids, the best WizKids three masted longships like uh Munin, Hugin, whatever. Uh, I actually like Neglink quite a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, uh,
1: that's a great ship.
0: Yeah, she would she would hold her own, uh, or or more uh, against all those, especially with that base move. So, so this is another another quite a good addition. So, and I love the name too. I'm actually kind of surprised I haven't made a, a custom with that name yet. So I probably will at some point. <laughs> uh, it was uh, the first one that I thought of, and I, I don't
1: know, just kind of made sense to me for some reason.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense.
1: This one, I think, probably could stand to go up in cost a point or two.
0: I think that'd but. be fair. Yeah, maybe. Uh, let's try... you want to go Spanish? Do you like one for yeah. each of the first few factions? Uh, let's see. Let's do a different ship type. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's try Bombardier. So this one, number 056, is a schooner four masted schooner uh 14 points l plus s speed cannons of 5l across the board and it's got schooner and extended range which is fun so uh that kind of reminds me of the idea of using the sniping ability on ships that have like rank five cannons so then like you just have to roll the same when they extend but
1: um, that is absolutely what this is set up for
0: <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah that's that's kind of interesting. Um, Trying to think what I would want to use on her. Probably, I would want to run a hybrid setup between her durability and um, the cargo is pretty average, but good enough to maybe do Captain Houndsman or some kind of. I mean, the speed is decent too. I'm thinking maybe a captain with like Dominic Freda, uh from Rise of the Fiends, either version, um, and get a, some kind of hybrid setup. I guess because um, then you got LL cannons but only hitting on the six so i think it would be kind of a tough one to use but i think it would see some niche some niche play
1: it would, i would agree with that i think it's a, a, diff, a difficult fit a ship to fit into most fleets or most playstyles.
0: but I, I love those i love the l range cannons with the high cannon
1: ranks and the extended range uh-huh. uh, I, i've had a lot of experience with uh, the, the ships that do exist uh, official is ships that have kind of that general setup and it's just good defensive ability. I found uh, yeah. even if there's a low chance of getting hit, people tend to kind of steer away just because you have so many opportunities to shoot from such a great range. So. Yeah.
0: yeah, that makes sense. And I thought of a couple other potential combos, mysterious islands, Louis Zuan with captain and world hater uh could give you oh, yeah. an L on on fours essentially and then uh, maybe add some equipment for some little fun surprises at that point. So yeah. Yeah. Nice.
1: That that could be a pretty brutal setup.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it could be could be solid. Uh let's see. I'll do a crew next. Um English, number 074, Lord Arties. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation for what you had in mind. Let's go with it. Okay. The Lord Artis is a three-point English crew, and he's got uh, captain. And the ship ignores terrain when given a move action. So, so that's kind of fun because it's free, which is interesting. Because he would definitely get used, because um, there's not much reason not to. Um, so I will say I think WizKids grossly overcosted the ignoring terrain ability at three. I think it should be one. I um, I would agree with that fully. Yeah. So, so seeing it free might be a, a little much, but. Um, But I think at four, I think at four, he could still see use, um, especially in playgroups like mine, or I shouldn't call it a playgroup yet, but, um, but I vastly prefer allowing terrain to be strung together and connected to islands, other terrain, all that. So I agree with that fully as well. Yeah. And I've seen from the, the, the rule survey results, I'm pretty sure that is by far and away how most people that have responded so far would prefer terrain to be handled. Um, in which case, um, it's such a prevalent house rule that this ability becomes like slightly better because of that, um, and could actually see a bit of use even at four points. So, nice.
1: That's a fair point. Uh, when you consider some of the house rules, you know this Lord RDS or RDays or however you choose to pronounce it here that might even see use at five points. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I know in a lot of the games that I play, that that ability really is almost invaluable. So, yeah.
0: yeah. This brings up one of my potential post ideas that people were talking about in the discord today or yesterday is like disagreements with the pirate code and stuff. And like yeah. nothing against uh, wolf and former rules arbitrators. Like they've done an awesome job. And like, I agree with the code like 99% of the time at, at least, but there's like certain things that I will admit that are confusing. So how they retcon this ability to ignore train, except icebergs once frozen North came out. Under the just yeah, that, that icebergs makes didn't, no exist, sense. Yeah, as they didn't exist as a terrain when the ability first showed up. But icebergs are terrain. So putting a caveat in a later version of the ability just seems to like cheapen it and create needless confusion in my opinion at least. So um,
1: especially with icebergs are my favorite terrain type. Uh I I, I like the fact that they move. I think that's part of what makes them interesting to me. Yeah. But it's just like the icebreaker ship type. Yeah. The ice icebreakers ignore terrain except icebergs, don't they? Uh I think. Or 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 do I have that backwards?
0: I'll get the keyword list up here.
1: I may have that mixed up, but I'm pretty sure that's I have a little bit of a beef with icebreakers because it's like always felt like the worst ship type of all time because it doesn't actually do anything. Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah. They have to ram them to, to get the benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Except yeah, no, yeah. icebergs. <laughs> uh, silliness. Oh, well. <laughs> and yeah, yes. I find it interesting. Icebergs are actually my least favorite train because like they just damage your ships and like, we often forget about them. And I actually, uh, Oh, okay. Exactly yeah. What happened in the, the four player hundred point game we played this past weekend. Uh, uh, we, we had, like, two icebergs out there, and we we admitted, like, before play started that we were, we're probably going to forget about them. And then we did every round except one. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's like this weird uh, thing where I know I'm going to forget, and then I still do. And then the other uh, aspect of that is mercenary, keeping, uh, starting a ship like us away from the home island. Like, those are the two oh, things yeah. I always forget. Like, once the game starts, I'm like, oh, this is a mercenary ship, or oh, this... Cruise crew's the next Patriot. So I know I can't talk at home, but like when the setup, it's like, I just can't.
1: Right. It's just kind of, it's just nature to set them up in yeah. the proper way. Oh yeah. I, I will admit that moving icebergs every turn is pretty tedious, uh, especially when you get beyond the, the 50, 60, 70, 80 point realm. Yeah. If you have a lot of them out there and we forget to move them all the time as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever done a but, house rule where they collide and then stick together as like a cluster I don't know if Xerix has done that.
1: I've never tried that, but that sounds kind of fascinating.
0: Yeah, I just um, recently, for the first time, uh, scanned the terrain and then printed it um, to have like uh, mega mega size. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, which is an idea I got from Wolf, and I think at least one other person. I think there's a, I think there's a picture on BoardGameGeek of like this really nice setup. They may have had paper terrain under like a glass or plexiglass table. Um like table cups. That's that sounds
1: really familiar. Yeah. I feel like I've seen that.
0: Yeah, I think there's at least one picture of that at Board Game Geek. So those were um uh, those are kind of the inspirations for that. So yeah. But any other uh customs you want to go over?
1: Yeah, I am more than happy to go through anything on this sheet. Uh okay. so there's I don't know how much of it you've checked out, but
0: I'm no, more than happy to much. walk through any of it. I'm just no, I'm seeing it for the first time, which is fun. So um let's check out let's just finish with the uh, island's Ice. Uh, let's do uh let's do a ut and then we could do one of the ones at the bottom which i assume are probably se's or le's oh super rare uh the
1: yep the equivalent of super rares yep awesome. um uh, my uh my unique treasure designing skills are very much lacking i found very quickly mm-hmm. uh, so prepare to be underwhelmed
0: oh yeah no worries I've i've had like a random time with it, like I I didn't create UTS for a long time. Then I had this bout of inspiration where I made like ten in like two or three days, and then like nothing since. So it's really, <laughs> but um, let's see. I think maybe Treasure Trove looks interesting. Uh, number one, two, three. You need treasure. On the turn, Treasure Trove is revealed. You may ro- roll three d six. Treasure Trove is worth gold equal to the value of the die rolls. So this one could be really a magnet for attention because it's face up. And it could be worth up to 18. And then, unlike uh, sunken treasure, it doesn't decrease in value or, um, or take up two cargo spaces or anything like that. So, this is like, could instantly become the most valuable coin on the map in a game uh, upon reviewing it. So, that I could see that being kind of like how I see the frontier overall as a shift. It's like a magnet for attention. So, it's often, yes. often either a game winner or just sunk. Like really quickly, so that yeah,
1: was kind of the idea behind this being a face-up treasure is that it attracts a lot of attention. So the idea is that it would cause some contention and cause some some chases and gunfights and boarding and some of that kind of kind of madness.
0: Yeah, nice.
1: But I, I never really found the the sunken treasure or the equivalents to be all that impactful on the game. Agreed. Uh, I think so. I wanted I like the idea. I just never felt that it really did as much as I wanted it to. So I just yeah. tried to take it to the next level.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah, I, I agree. Something treasure, I don't not a not a big fan of it. So um all right, so let's look at one of the supers as well. I'm trying to think try to let's see. Uh let's look at kelp, I guess. Uh one three two, a Looks like a four-segment... Okay, so it's a Sea Serpent, and it's yep. going to be 14 points, LL speed, cannons of 2S and then 4Ls for the other three. Three cargo, uh, Sea Monster, Eternal, and Ramming cannot eliminate the Sea Creature segments. Okay, uh, now we're talking. I like this. Um, same point cost and base move as Mistwalker, but this one's got good amount of cargo and Eternal. So it's... Uh, I like this. Yeah, I would probably there's a lot of potential uses for this maybe i mean of course you could just suicide it and just use it as like an attack distraction but um i kind of like the idea of trying to trying to get gold with it between the cargo like you know just standard treasure of course um well it the pairs
1: arrows. very well with uh with zero zero one the dark stride i mean they have the same base move yeah, yeah so exactly. in tandem those those two could be moving triple l across the board yeah. pretty easily
0: yeah that is awesome yeah, I would probably might try to use her with that and um maybe try to sabotage an enemy gold runner, steal some regular coins. Um yeah, I like it. Looks like a pretty solid monster overall.
1: This was a, a fun one to play test. Again, play testing fairly loose term there. But I, I like the C uh the sea serpents with the head having a different rank cannon than the rest of the segments. I agree with that. Uh, for some reason in my head, you know, if I if you kind of picture like a little animation of one of those things, one of those sea serpents attacking a ship, you know, they're going to be attacking primarily with the head or with the mouth, I guess, you know, like wrapping around a ship. Yeah. So I think it makes sense to have a better cannon for the head.
0: Yeah. But. Yeah, that makes me think of like all sorts of thematic justifications because I agree with that. Um and you could have different um, I think this is kind of what Wizkids did in DJC was they tried to have, like, flamethrowing abilities or uh, yeah nope. executed extremely poorly. But they tried Agreed. to uh, have, like, breath attacks, obviously. But um kind of reminds me of all sorts of weird Pokemon thoughts are going in my head right now. <laughs> One, like a sea serpent that has, like, an ice attack, like Articuno. And then, like, uh, uh, I think the tail could actually have good kin ranks, too, on a serpent. Because maybe it uses the tail to like whip around um, and smash masts or something like that.
1: Um, that would make sense thematically.
0: Yeah. And then give me the additional idea of like a snake using like a constriction method and having better cannons in the middle. If it's like a really weird serpent that like wraps around the hull of a ship and then like squeezes or something to like break it. I don't know. Just really random thoughts are going through my head now that you mentioned the head thing. So I think there's a
1: lot of fun thematic things that you could do with serpents, depending on how complex you want to make your your rules or ability text.
0: Yeah. And
1: obviously some of it might have to kind of circumnavigate the pirate code, but there's so many interesting thematic ways to make sea monsters really interesting, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, But
1: sea creatures in general. But
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we went over these because this gives me some new ideas that I've never thought of before in terms of specific canon ranks on um, serpents and also like special abilities for them and to your point about the code i think uh there's so many thousands of customs now that if we made a pirate code for customs it would be like definitely longer than the existing pirate code at like 64 pages or whatever but i think it could easily be 100 or more pages just because oh i would agree with that custom abilities and like not only how they interact with each other um, but also how they interact with existing WizKid stuff would just get completely bonkers, um, and yeah. we're seeing a little bit of that, a little bit of that in vessel Campaign Game Four, where I've been able to combine customs that um, Vlad's and Taylor made in 2008 with mine, that I would then combined with Xerix and uh, JW Darker, Xerix's brother, to create these like ultimate like death like. Apocalypse, apocalypse combos (laughs) just completely break all like common sense in the game. It's just gotten ludicrous, but super fun, of course. So, Uh, anyway, awesome. All right, thanks for showing us that. This is really exciting. I can see you've got a ton of customs, which is always a fun thing to look at. the 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 amount of combinations available. Um, to make customs, like how, how you arrange and ranks and abilities is just endless, which is just another point about how great the game is, that people can make those um, and then make them on their own, which I think is a good segue to uh, something I just want to say. I just want to thank you uh, sincerely for making, not only developing and making your 3D print uh, files and models, but also for sharing them. Uh, I've got the Thingiverse page up here, so if anybody didn't know... Um, him and Vulcan and uh, a few others have made all their STL files and whatnot available um, online, which is just really amazing. And I think one of the greatest things that's happened ever in the pirate CSG community to uh, to give this stuff out and also just to, to make it available. So anybody anybody with a 3D printer uh, can start making their own ships and whatnot and experimenting and, and modifying it to their liking and things like that. So thank you for that. Um, and if you just want to say anything about how you got started with 3D printing, um, I guess it looks like you have a Ender 3 Pro um, from the description. So that one's still working well for you, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it does work pretty well for me. I haven't used it in probably been a good three or four months at this point. But I, you know, first of all, I think it's a, a really... Probably the best time to be in the game right now, to be into the game and active Agreed. Uh, with as many people 3D printing as there are and designing new ships. And I mean, we have guys in the discord who are printing out their own decals or printing directly onto polystyrene and, you, you know, laser cutting ships and just so many crazy things that really at this point as a community, there's no excuse for the game dying. Uh, I mean, that's that's the at this point i mean the game could go on indefinitely which is awesome yeah. and that's you know part of the reason that i put those files out there i, mean, I think i have the majority of the ship types there's got to be probably half a dozen maybe a few more that are not on there but you know it's it's, it's just about keeping the game alive it's about keeping people playing and giving people uh, an easier path to be able to make their own and to keep playing and to you know keep designing ships or you know, if, if the original WizKid ships get so expensive that you can print yourself up a six master junk and pretend that you have the grand path. Yeah. So I, I think at some point that's going to be a viable option, if not a realistic option, which is, I think, equally exciting.
0: Yeah, but, I agree completely. And I think it's already becoming um, a good option because the prices are just, they keep rising for the most part. There's still unpredictability. Um, I know from uh, Matt P.'s recent uh, pricing list, he admitted that some stuff is just off the wall, like stuff, some stuff is going down, but most of it overall, especially historically trending, is just going up, basically. Um, Absolutely. And it doesn't, so far hasn't really showed signs that it will come back down, especially permanently or anytime soon, um, especially with the, the money printing and the inflation uh, we've seen over the past year and a half, or whatever, things like that. Um, I don't know. It just, it just makes, it makes me feel like people will be more likely to buy a 3D printer to make this stuff in the future. Um, and I definitely recommend that. And like, the, the, like even just thinking about like basic costs, like I, I got the Ender 3 V2. I think it was like 267 on eBay, something like that. Um, so yeah, if, sounds if, about right. With PLA. You could probably get started for about three hundred, and then even if you want to go full ham and do artwork and other stuff, um, you could do. My printer I just bought is only fifty for the ink, and then you can just cut the pieces out if you want from like the sticker paper or whatever, um, or just get a Cricut or whatever. I think that's what Vulcan uses for the artwork, the decals. So, yep. I think. I mean, we're talking five hundred or less, um, or maybe. I don't know if you want to go more Gucci, you could do like six to eight hundred, whatever. But I mean, that's the cost of a of a South China Seas or Frozen North box, I think. So. Oh, at you know,
1: best, at yeah. best case scenario. Yeah.
0: That's
1: a yeah. You are beyond absolutely correct there. I mean, that's you know five hundred bucks, if not you know a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on you know how you time things and what exactly you're looking for is going to get you an Ender three or an Ender two. Uh, that's going to get you probably more PLA than you'll be able to print, you know, in your first six months. Yeah. Uh, And you can do all of that from a Chromebook Uh, with thingiverse and with those files. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And like you said, that's, you know, you look on eBay right now. I think there are some pirates of the revolution first edition boxes, you know, 36 packs for like three or 400 bucks. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy, but you know, the, the prices, it kind of scary, honestly, it's, it's a little scary to see uh, the, the desirable and the rare items are obviously increasing in price exponentially because there's so much demand.
0: Um, you know,
1: it's some even some of those pieces that aren't very good, but they're just notable and people, people want them. They seem to want them. They seem to like them. Uh, so they're they're just, they're skyrocketing. I mean, in the past year or two, we've seen Bauchan go up, what, from 40 or 50 bucks? I mean, yeah, to 150 bucks pretty yes. regularly. Yeah, but
0: it's I remember when those you know I, like auctioned for like 20 to 35. Way back, yeah, you that was you, a great time. you could
1: <laughs> you could barely get rid of those things. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like the the South China Seas, um, LEs, You know the the 200s through 217s. Okay. Those the prices haven't really gone up yet, but those are not exactly as easy to find as they were. Yeah. I mean, you can find a couple of them here and they're on eBay. People have a few of them on their sheets and they're, they're inexpensive, but they're difficult to find uh, yeah. ish. Yeah. But I don't, I don't see prices coming back down uh, at least not significantly until or unless there is some big sell-off. You know, I think probably five years ago, maybe a little bit kind of around in that period, we saw a lot of the old school collectors and players really kind of getting out of the game. You know those those guys are having kids or they're moving on. They're doing whatever they're doing and they're they're no longer interested in pirates. So we saw a lot of that stuff come up in a short period of time. But until that happens again, I don't see prices going anywhere but up. Yeah. But that's
0: Yeah. Same. And yeah, Hills I'm just looking at Hills wholesale gaming uh website right now. They just ran out of the Caribbean Lot of 36. They just ran out of and um, Spanish Main—they used to sell nine packs for eighteen. Now they're nine for thirty-six, Um yep. four dollars a pack. The ones that are kind of weird to me, like Rise of the Fiends, was so common back in like twenty eleven to like twenty fifteen, and now it's ten yeah. like bucks a pack for the that box, which is weird to see. But yeah, um, that's crazy. I mean, Rise of the Fiends and Fire and Steel, uh,
1: and Pirates of the Caribbean, for that matter—you could really, you could not give those away. I mean, those were. Those were the junk of the bunch right when people got into the game and they said what should I buy?" I said well uh, revolutions is the best for the price but the cheapest is fire and steel mm-hmm. and yep. you know fire and steel and rise of the fiends like you said 10 12 fifteen bucks a pack all day long
0: yeah yes yeah. kind of bizarre uh, especially for people like us that have seen so many variations from the 399 MSRP to like the golden golden era, if you will. I think it was good before I started collecting in 2011 too, like 2009, 10 were pretty good prices, I'm sure. Um, And I know I did really well, 2011 to 2014. And then I think like 15, 16 was around the start of the rise, essentially. Um, And I was just saying, I think I was just talking to Witch or somebody about how um, when Ernie posted on Facebook in like 28, summer of 2018, he seemed not crazy, but he seemed like, well, it was a lot to buy like a punched set of South China Seas for like $482 or something. And now they like, or a box for 500 or less or whatever. Yeah. now it seems like a great deal. So yeah, that's, that's
1: practically a deal today, which is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it hasn't, it hasn't really been that long too. Like that, 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 no. wasn't that long ago. So
1: it's wild. I, I also <laughs> think though, that the community is growing exponentially, uh, or at least people are coming out of the woodwork more so yeah. than before. I, I mean, yeah. you know, the, the Facebook group is growing faster in the past two years than it really ever has. The Discord's going nuts. I mean, Pirates with Ben is going crazy. The uh, and there's, crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there are clearly people out there who are not on, you know, either Facebook or Pirates with Ben or the Discord because yeah. eBay, eBay has always been super active. So, you know, there, there's got to be people out there somewhere and clearly they're just, they're snapping it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's quite, quite interesting. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to to go over on the podcast. Any other topics? Or you
1: know, you what? Know, I, I think that that covers the bulk of it. I think we covered a lot of ground right there. It was yeah. awesome. uh, really pretty fantastic. Thanks for having me. Really well, appreciate it, Ben.
0: Hell yeah. It was great. Thanks for coming on. Thanks again for the sharing the files, everything. Uh, so this was uh, ASOS uh parrot captain Andrew. And uh, A7X fan Ben, Pirate CSG podcast number 53, and I just remembered—it's been so long—I uh, forgot about the question of the day. So I don't have one prepared like I usually do. Let's say, uh, let's see—I'm just going to do a silly one. What—and uh, you can you can come up with one too, of course, if you want. Um, my, mine is just really random. So for the audience, what uh, set do you think? Hills Wholesale Gaming will restock next, if they do. So something weird I found interesting was I think they, I want to say it was the DJC SE boxes or maybe the Rise of the Fiends packs. They took off the site uh, when they sold out, like earlier this year or last year, and then they actually restocked them, which I didn't know they did. Or maybe they like found some or who knows what. Or they had an inventory uh, error, maybe. I don't know. But um, but now the the recent one is Caribbean. Uh it says currently unavailable, sold out. So just curious to think if the audience thinks they'll restock a certain set next just because I, I don't know I don't know what to ask right now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to ask one, go ahead or not. So you know, I uh, I'm always always curious. So I
1: want to know what everybody's favorite ship type is and why.
0: Okay. Love it.
1: Not a great question, but that's what I want to know.
0: No, that's a good that's a good question. Nice. All right. This was uh, a CSG podcast episode number 53. Signing off for now. Thanks for watching, and uh, we'll hear you in the next uh, the next one.